At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible. With a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. If you have Buddy Six, please share it. If you know somebody that is looking for help, please share it. If you're looking for a way to help others or to help others help others, please share it. If you don't share it, people don't know about it and they don't know that this is a resource. And this is not a replacement for face-to-face peer support. But if it's all you got, it's all you got. And this also supports actual face-to-face peer support. It supports it. So if you know somebody or you know somebody that wants to help or you want to help yourself, share, share, because sharing is caring. And that's how you can have Buddy 6. This is available on all kinds of different platforms from Apple, Google, Stitcher, you name it. And the primary recording, if you want to have the most up-to-date shows, is on anchor.fm. And you just look for Operation Tango Romeo and away you go. I am Mark Meinke, your OPSO. I am a peer support facilitator. So I actually run face-to-face peer support groups. Got the course through OSISS, that's the Operational Stress Injury Support something. And it's a good little course. We're doing this because there's just not enough access for others. So here we go. Um, Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the tendency to minimize our service or experiences for ourselves or minimizing the experience of other people. Basically, being a douchebag either to yourself or to other people. We're going to be talking about that. One of the ways that is very common to be a douchebag either to ourselves or to others is to make a dividing line between having a tour and not having a tour. Now, is it going to be different? Again, this show is for first responders too. So for first responders, maybe the dividing line is something different. Maybe people brag about, oh, I, I work in the rough area. I work in sector three and you are only working sector five. Well, that's nothing compared to what I do. That's the type of douchebaggery I'm talking about, where you say that your service, whether it be as a firefighter, paramedic, cop, whatever, that your service is somehow more important and that you're bigger, badder, tougher, and more of a cop or more of a firefighter or more of a soldier than the other people because of the you went to places that they didn't. Well, that would make you a douchebag. Yay for you, you're a douchebag. So, uh... One of the dividing lines, again, is tour or no tour, or whatever the equivalent is in the first responder world. It is a bad place to put a dividing line. Um, You don't need a tour of duty. You don't have to have been overseas to have experienced trauma. In fact, in the military, especially combat arms, And I'm not diminishing the other services. I I apologize if that comes across in any of the episodes. Not my intention. I just know what I know. In my world, I was infantry, so I know that world. And I know a little bit 
about armored and artillery, but the actual world I was in was infantry, light infantry. So that's the one I can speak of with some experience. So tour or no tour, if you just have the military training, your brain has still been wired for fight or flight in all situations. If you have a problem, kill it. That's your response. If you have a problem, kill it. Now, the first responders don't have that kind of training, um, but trauma is trauma is trauma. So it is cumulative. And maybe some districts, some work environments, or some cities have more and and more frequent and more intense trauma. So what? It's still cumulative. Whether you're filling the bathtub or you're filling a swimming pool one drop at a time at some point in time it's still going to get full one way or the other so it doesn't matter if it's a slow drip in a bathtub or a slow drip to fill a swimming pool uh, or a cup of water it's still a slow drip and at some point you're going to have so much trauma in your tank that it's going to be a problem and it's going to spill out over the edge make a mess and cause you problems that you need to deal with. So whether or not you have a tour, whether or not you're in the toughest city, it it just doesn't matter. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where the trauma came from. Don't compare yours to theirs in either a positive way or a negative way. Don't minimize the trauma of others and don't minimize the trauma, trauma that you've had yourself. For those now speaking military again, um, combat or no combat. So even people that, uh, we just love being douchebags to each other and minimalizing the others and saying that, oh, I'm tougher than you, or I'm more experienced than you, or I'm more of a soldier than you. So the other dividing line is combat or no combat. People, I, I guess I call myself a combat veteran, but I do so reservedly because I don't know what the right label is. I was in a peacekeeping tour. So I was a UN peacekeeper. I got shot at, that's for sure. Uh, bombs going off all around me, uh, never shot anybody, never fired a shot in anger. So is that a combat veteran? I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. <coughs> it was a war zone, got shot at, lots of dodgy shit happening. So if you don't want to call me a combat veteran, that's fine. I really don't care. Um, you want to call me a peacekeeping veteran? Okay, Whatever. And some people don't even want to call me a veteran at all. And that's their prerogative too, if they want to be a douchebag. Um, but the, the combat, no combat thing. Hey, if you were overseas, you were overseas. It doesn't matter if you were in the rear with the gear um, as a support staff or you're outside the wire. And actually, and I know this is tough to swallow, but there's actual empirical studies that have been done on this and lots of anecdotal evidence that sometimes being in the rear of the gear can actually be worse. And I don't understand it. I'm not pretending to understand it. But as an, exi- um, as an example, on our tour, the cooks, the cooks that never left the wire except for maybe uh, to go on leave, you know, uh, they never left the wire. They weren't doing patrols. They weren't forward operators. They weren't kicking doors. They were the cook. So one would think, what's the difference if you're a cook in country or you're a cook back home or a cook in the field? You're still a cook. You're doing the same job. Three hots is what you're creating. But 
for whatever reason, that environment, and it's probably because they didn't see what was behind the curtain, it made it all this all the more scary. When you're able to pull back the curtain and actually see what's back there, there's something about that that makes it easier to deal with. But when it's just your imagination running wild all, all the time, sometimes when you're in the rear of the gear, that could be the worst place to be. I don't understand it. I'm not a clinician. I don't know how to explain it from a clinical standpoint. But the bottom line is it doesn't matter if you were the cook behind the wire or supply guy or you were a forward operator. You're outside the wire doing secret squirrel shit and doing patrols and at the pointy end of the stick. It doesn't mean that one was nastier than the other. It doesn't mean that you didn't experience trauma or that you don't have PTSD, an OSI, operational stress injury. So combat or no combat, tour or no tour, get rid of those lines. Don't be a douchebag. Um, we've all, we all have a different experience. So let's say the guys that, uh, were on my tour with me, I mean, Jesus, I know guys with five, six, eight tours. Uh, I just did one, one tiny little tour and, uh, but mine was mine. And it doesn't matter if you were in the same section as me. I mean, we have similar memories and, and we remembered, uh, similar things and had some of the same experiences, but what was that? to me and what was it to you i mean you could be in the exact same skirmish the exact same situation and have two very different recollections of it and it can mean something completely different um as an example there was this herd of people that uh, i don't know a thousand people maybe and we saw the herd a couple of times uh, man woman and child from baby to grandma in a babushka and carrying sticks on her back. These were refugees. We don't know where the hell they were coming from or where they were going to. They were on foot carrying suitcases and, and there's F all we could do to help them. We couldn't feed them. We couldn't house them. We couldn't shelter them. All we could do is kind of be on the outsides of it and provide them some kind of security in case somebody starts shooting at them, which was a real threat. That's all we could do. We couldn't feed them, help them, anything. Terrible. But somebody else seeing the same herd of people might have uh, a completely different way of looking at it. Um, maybe they didn't think the way I th thought uh, of God, you know, how are these people going to be? Like, how are they going to survive this? For whatever reason, the empathy wasn't there. The bottom line is just because you saw the same scene doesn't mean it has the same impact on you because you're not the same person. We all have our own filters based on our background, our life, our, our life lessons, the way we were raised, our childhood. We all have different filters, so we all see things differently. Do you like broccoli? Well, not everybody likes broccoli because it doesn't taste the same to everybody. Some people love it. Some people can't stand it because it doesn't taste the same. And experiences are not experienced the same way. It's different for different people. So don't be a freaking douchebag and don't minimize your experiences or the experiences of others. At the end of the day, if you got the symptoms of an OSI, operational stress injury or PTSD, if you got the symptoms, you got the symptoms, they need to be treated because they freaking suck and they beat up your life. 
Okay. Uh, the other way to be a douchebag to compare our service with others to minimize it is time in. I once had a function once. I won't uh, name the organization, but uh, I was at a function once, and it must have been around Remembrance Day because for that's the only time I ever wear my medals. So I got my gongs on, and the guy next to me, he's like, "Oh, uh, who'd you serve with?" You know the standard questions, and and how long were you in? I said, "Oh, about five years." He goes, oh, five years. I was in for 37 years. Fucking douchebag. <laughs> I mean, yes, that is uh, impressive. Like, awesome, man. You, you gave your whole life. But the way he said it with the tone, and it's not the first time that's happened, um, <laughs> this guy basically said that my five years doesn't count. It means nothing. But uh, his 37 years means everything. Well, yeah. I mean, you spent a lifetime there. Good for you. Awesome. You know, like, thank you for your service. Truly, thank you for your service. My five years still count. If it was just three years, it still counts. If you were a reservist who served for six months, that still counts. I mean, you signed the dotted line, you said yes, and you subjected yourself to, like, you wrote the blank check. You wrote the blank check to the government of Canada and the ultimate price of that check is your life. You sign the line, you you put it on, you put your ass on the line, you know, uh, your service counts, whether it's six months in the reserves or 37 years in the regs or something in between. Your service counts. The definition of veteran, I saw a post on Facebook here. Um, uh, anyway, it was about uh, some motorcycle club somewhere and um, whether it was mistaken or not the person says yeah to be in our motorcycle club you have to be not just a veteran but you have to have been deployed so you need a tour of some sort well all right <laughs> but the the legal definition of a veteran is just somebody that served and got out with a honorable discharge that's it that's it you know um so all of these people that say, oh, I'm not really a veteran because I wasn't in World War II or Korea. Well, you know what? They didn't even call the Korean vets vets for the longest time because it was called a police action. But of course they're freaking vets. Um, Medak Pocket was completely ignored for 20 years. Well, that was a real battle. But whether you actually saw some hot action or not, you're a veteran. You served. If you have been a first responder, whether you're a volunteer firefighter or whether you are a 30-year cop. Either way, you've seen some shit. Either way, you've subjected yourself voluntarily to serve your community. In the military, you're serving your country. First responders, you're serving your community. It's service. It's service and sacrifice. You're the one that stepped up. Be proud of that. Be proud of that. Uh, the other way that we are douchebaggy to each other, whether it's first responder or, or military, is what trade you were. Now, I win because I was infantry. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I embraced the suck. I went all the way. But, and of course, people love to beat up the infantry. Oh, infantards. All right. Fair enough. Um, 
some of the smartest people I ever met in my life, people with 150 plus IQs, were non-commissioned members of the infantry. So stick that in your pipe. Um, and there were some dum-dums too. Brothers and sisters all. So there's rivalry even among infantry rev regiments, among reg force and, and reserves, among um, artillery and armored and infantry. You know, who's the best, who's the toughest, blah, blah, blah. We all served. And in my tour, it didn't matter if you're armored or artillery. We all did the exact job. It was the same. Reservist, reg, it just didn't matter. We were all outside the wire doing the same patrols, doing the same job, filling the same sandbags, getting shot up by the same bullets. So there is, like, what's what's the point of, of, of a division? We all did the same job. Uh, I don't know jack shit about Afghanistan because I was never there. Um, so, but I would imagine there are some similarities going on. People on patrol, two feet in a heartbeat, regardless of trade. Minimizing experiences. Well, I was in the battle of whatever, you know, and, uh, you weren't there. So my stress and my, my trauma is greater than your trauma. Well, maybe. Maybe it is bigger. I trivialized my my own stories forever. Um, one sh story that I'll share with you, and there's a reason I'm sharing this particular one, is the tripwire story. So I'm the only guy I know that hit a tripwire, like full-on hit it. Like it's stretched to the max, um, and I didn't go boom. Pretty cool. Um, you know, other people that did the same thing, and they died. Um, and blew themselves up or those around them or all of the above. But somehow I'm alive. So what it was is we were ground guiding the carriers out um, to outside the wire uh, to uh, do a little patrol. And I thought, well, I'm just going to jog in front of the carriers for this because I've done this foot patrol a bazillion times. So no big deal. I'll just... Um, uh, to the first marker, I'll just jog the, the whole thing, then get in the carrier. So as I'm doing that and I'm jogging along, all of a sudden I feel against my shin a tripwire. And I'm at a full jog. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm dead. So I, I come to a, a halt as fast as I possibly, possibly can because I immediately knew what that sensation was on my shin. And um, came to a halt and I'm just, okay, where's the flash? I'm just waiting. Like this, I guess this is it. You know, I'm, this is my last moment. Uh, and there's something like in a microsecond, you've got 20 minutes worth of thought going on in just this microsecond. It's all in a flash. It's the craziest thing. It's super slow-mo. But I look to my right expecting to see a flash and expecting that flash to be the last thing I ever see in my life. No flash. Well, that's freaking weird. And I look to my left because I figure, well, it must be the, the, the bouncing Betty or Claymore or whatever it is must be on the left. And looked, no flash. Like, well, that's weird. How come I'm not dead? Oh, shit, there's still a tripwire on my shin at like high, high tension. So I had this vision of my head of the of, um, of a pin of, uh, just hanging on by the skin of the teeth. You know, I was like, oh, okay, so uh, is there anything bad about backing up? No, no, I can do it. Okay, so back up, take the tension off. 
and I, I, I back up and uh, till I'm right off the wire. And I said, well, if I didn't go boom there, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm safe. And I'm looking, I don't see any mines on, on either end. I'm like, oh, Christ, the carriers. So I turn around behind me and I, I give them the signal for stop and then uh, the overhand cupping signal that means booby trap and then uh, the pinching signal with your hands going tripwire. Anyway, if you know what they are, you know what they are. doesn't matter. Um, but I stopped the carriers, booby trap, tripwire were the hand signals, and they all just went white, like, <gasps> holy crap. And the guy that uh, was Assault Pioneers hopped off, and he was our uh, uh, section commander at the time, I think. Anyway, Mark, uh, you okay? <laughs> like, uh, not really bad, a little rattled. So I went back to the carrier and he checked it out, snipped it. Lucky me, it was a dummy wire. So there was no landmine on the end of it. But of course, I didn't know that till he cut the wire and came and told me. Uh, now, just for a bit of perspective, we were in the Kryina. Now, the Kryina in Croatia was Serb-held Croatia, and it was the most heavily mined area on the planet. Maybe the Gaza Strip had as much or more, but it was top two anyway, top two or three places on planet Earth with the most, with the highest concentration of landmines, right at the top of the list. So anyway, rattled me. But you would think that once I realized it was a dummy wire and there was no actual landmine in either side, that I'd be okay. You'd think that, right? It'd be easy to trivialize it and go, Mark, you know, what's your problem? You know, that's not enough to uh, be an incident that creates a operational stress injury. But let's look back at it again. I looked right, expecting to see the last thing I would ever see, which is a bright flash. I looked left, expecting to say, see the same thing again. And then I expected the pin to pop out at any moment because my shin was still on this wire. It was like three near-death experiences in a microsecond till I took the pressure off the wire. I didn't know that it was a dummy wire that some asshole set up just to mess with us. We were in the most heavily mined area in the world and there had already been two mine strikes so far. And after, shortly after, one of the fellas, uh, an engineer, Mark Isfeld, hit a tripwire, died, and uh, the guy next to him was hurt pretty bad. So here's the impact all these years later. I think I'm okay with it until we actually get into it with therapy. I think I'm okay with it. I'm not okay with it. Uh, we do this thing, this woo-woo thing with your uh, where you follow her fingers left and right like EMDR, and it actually puts me back in that moment. And the moment my shin hits that wire, I snap out of the kind of hypnotic state, yelling, like, ah, because that memory is not, it was never processed. It's stuck in my body somehow. I don't understand how this shit works. I, all I can tell you is that that memory has affected me my whole life. And it's just one of many. But this particular one, um, because of the stress in my body, from that moment forward, I've been incontinent. I poop myself once in a while. Yeah, that's, that's kind of gross, right? But it's, it's a common side effect of an OSI. 
because that trauma is still in my body and uh, a little bit of extra stress and anxiety. And if I don't find a toilet within 60 seconds, I'm in, I'm in trouble. And uh, that's been with me for 25 years. So we've tried four sessions so far to try to get through this memory and process it and repurpose it so that it's not so traumatic. We can't get past my shin hitting the tripwire. I mean, we will. We'll get through it. But the point of the story is I've been minimizing that story because I've told it a thousand times. Hell, I told it in a public speaking thing at a, uh, at a middle school with a thousand or 500, 600 kids, you know. I thought I was okay with it because I can tell the story. But when I really get into it and remember it, like really remember it, where I could smell the air, I could feel the gra- the um, the gravel under my feet, and I actually feel that, that tripwire hitting my shin again, I'm not okay with it. So don't minimize your experiences. Just because you're okay with it doesn't mean you're actually okay with it. Just because you think you're okay with it doesn't mean that it's not affecting your life. It's had some pretty drastic side effects on my life for the last 25 years. This is Operation Tango Romeo. I'm your OPSO, Mark Mankey. Please, share, share like the sugar bear, because sharing is caring. Cheers. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible, with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. (laughs) 